Good morning. I'm Missy Galloway. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. If you asked me to paint a wall, I could do that. But if you said, well, get rid of your jealousy, I really couldn't do that without asking in the seventh step really for higher power to help me with that. You know, that if I have my own conception of, of God, then he is like salt to me. He touches me and he changes my flavor. All he's doing is enhancing who he created in the first place. I think it's important to, however you enlarge your spiritual life, to keep at it because it uh, can only bring goodness and, and joy from and happiness from all of it and a freedom. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. On this show, we try to bring some inspiration through interviews with members of the recovery community. We are not affiliated with any 12-step or recovery programs, but you may hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. On today's show, Missy G. from Punta Vedra Beach, Florida. Before we get to the show, I'd like to ask for a favor. If you're listening on a podcast app like Apple Podcasts, we'd love to ask you for a rating. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Good morning, Mike. I am great. I'm happy to be here today. How are you? I'm doing well. So what's in store for us today? Well, I'm very excited about today. Uh, First of all, it's April 1st, and um, we have with us somebody I've heard a lot about and looking forward to hear her experience, strength, and hope. Her name is Missy G. She's from Florida, and um, she's going to be talking to us today about the reflection for today, which is called Looking Within. Fantastic. Well, Missy, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Well, we start the show in the same way every day. We ask the guests to read the Daily Reflection. Uh, Would you help us get started? Sure, I'd be glad to. It's entitled Looking Within. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That's from the 12 and 12, uh, page 42. Step four is the vigorous and painstaking effort to discover what the liabilities in each of us have been and are. I want to find out exactly how, when, and where my natural desires have warped me. I wish to look squarely at the unhappiness this has caused others and myself. By discovering what my emotional deformities are, I can move towards their correction. Without a willing and persistent effort to do this, there can be little sobriety or contentment for me. To resolve ambivalent feelings, I need to feel a strong and helpful sense of myself. Such an awareness doesn't happen overnight, and no one's self-awareness is permanent. Everyone has the capacity for growth and for self-awareness through an honest encounter with reality. When I don't avoid issues but meet them directly, always trying to resolve them, they become fewer and fewer. Thank you for reading that, Missy. And, you know, before we get started, what's your sobriety date? Uh, April 29th, uh, 1987. Awesome. You know, we're in the fourth month now, and this obviously is about a four-step inventory and the benefits yeah. that can arise of it. And I'm just curious, when you came in in the 80s trying to take on this journey of sobriety, what was that four-step like for you at first? I really didn't realize what it meant. I was looking forward to telling how, how everybody how mistreated I had been. So I thought that that was going to be my opportunity to do that. I had no idea what a fearless moral inventory uh, of myself really entailed because I was 
so embroiled in selfishness and self-centeredness that I, I didn't know what, the, what it was, really, I didn't. But I was very comfortable as it talks about moral inventory of myself. I, I just, I was so insecure emotionally that I thought that it was going to be an opportunity to parrot back what I had been told about myself, that I was uh, uh, fat, that I was unattractive and stupid. And that's, uh, so I thought that that was going to be, uh, that's what it was going to be like. And I was, I was well-versed in, in being able to tell myself those things. That's what I thought a moral inventory was going to be. It was all negative stuff. Because I think, uh, you know, alcoholics, I think, think negatively even about positive stuff. And uh, that's what I was doing. You know, looking at the, the reflection, it talks about emotional deformities. Yeah, I love um, I love that, don't you? Yeah, tell me a little <laughs> bit about that. I mean, I first of all, I mean it it sounds pretty harsh, emotional deformity. Yeah. Uh, and then it talks about correcting them. How does that how does that sit with you? I thought, you know, I really didn't know what uh the uh the third column was about. I I had no idea about uh self-esteem, personal relations, ambitions. I thought all all of them were uh financial. I didn't know what that they were deformities, and I certainly didn't know about the fourth column. About the third column was about my ego, and I, I had had I really didn't know what they were about. So I thought that my emotional deformities were actually the things that I had done that I was ashamed of, the specific acts. I didn't realize that they were talking about the nature of my wrongs, uh, like it talks about in the fifth step. I thought that they were talking about specific things, like I I stole from my husband or I, you know, I lied or I've had affairs or, you know, things like that. I, I didn't know that they were really talking about self-centered fear and pride and, and uh, lust and envy and greed and all of those <laughs> seven deadly sins. I, I wasn't uncomfortable about talking about that, but finding really what the cause behind them was, was, was uh, brand new to me. So that's what I thought emotional deformities were, were the actual incidents, the actual actions, not what provoked the actions. I love what you're sharing because I actually came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous like six or seven years before I actually did get sober. And I saw the steps on the wall mm-hmm. and I thought that step four and five was an actual confession of my sins. Like I thought that I was going to have to list all the stuff that I did had done and, and, uh, and I left. And never came back for six or seven years until the desperation grew severe enough that I was willing to do it. But I, I love what you're saying. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit more about what you did discover? I did my first four step with my sponsor here in Florida first. And I, I remember her wanting to get on our knees and say the third step prayer before we did uh, the fourth step. And I, I remember the uh, being embarrassed to do that, even though nobody was watching I thought, well, I'm trying to please her. I'll do whatever she wants me to do. But I have, I, I have no idea what we're doing. And uh, we went through it. And I, she had given me one of those forms that uh, you check off. So I checked it off. I mean, I, uh, the different things I checked off that I thought, you know, might apply. But it wasn't until we moved to Ohio and that uh, I started to go to uh, Oak Street. And I met my sponsor. For some reason, I decided I was going to volunteer down at central office. And um, I had never wanted to be of service. (laughs) I never wanted to be useful. 
but I was going, so I had started to go to meetings late and I didn't introduce myself and I was a new person. And, and every time you move, you have to be a new person all over again. So I went to the, to volunteer and that's where I found my sponsor and she was a big book thumper. We started to do the, uh, a big book and we did the columns. I would come in whining about what I thought was a problem and she would not talk to me about the problem until I had it written down on paper with the different columns. We actually, in the central office, we had an in, what we called an inventory chair. And any time that anybody came in with a problem in a written inventory, we'd sit in the inventory chair and we'd do the inventory in front of the office, in front of the people in the office. And uh, that gave, I, I mean, great peals of laughter. And, you know, we had great time doing that because, of course, every, everything everybody did was what everybody else had been doing and everybody else was ashamed. I mean... For God's sake, if it had a name, everybody's done it before. <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't something humiliating uh, at that point. And that's where I became comfortable with doing a four-step. This is not about a confession of sins, but what no. did you discover that it's actually really about? It's the nature of my wrongs. It's what what I found uh, being in the fifth step is, you know, I'm so full of self-will, was so full of self, I am full of self-will that I... Uh, I thought that I could fix all of these things myself. And uh, when I did the fourth column and realized that, you know, self-centered fear and selfishness and dishonesty uh, were something that I couldn't do myself. And the seven deadly sins, I think, are always under self-centered fear, and especially my pride. I, I didn't realize that, which is the biggest one, obviously, for me. That's when I started to really develop a relationship with a higher power, uh, because I realized that it if you asked me to paint a wall, I could do that. But if you said, well, get rid of your jealousy, I really couldn't do that without asking in the seventh step really to for higher power to help me with that. And I was completely unaware of uh, those parts of my, those parts of me that I needed help with. Until that time, I really thought I was quite self-sufficient. I was delighted to learn that that it worked. And I, I, I use it on all kinds of things, smoking and my relationships with my uh, grandchildren and child and husband and the way I treat people. It talks about in the big book, the inventory is ours, not the other man's. And I realized that most of my resentments, oh, say I've written maybe about 50 or 60 inventories about my parents and they've been dead for a long time. <laughs> but uh, I mean, they, it, it's over now. I feel absolutely flatline on them. I really do. I wrote so many inventories until I realized that it was me that was telling myself those things. Like I would write an inventory on my dad and I'd say, you know, he doesn't pay enough attention to me or he doesn't respect uh, my feelings or, you know, all of those kind of things that every, I guess everybody feels about their parents. And then my sponsor in Ohio had me turn the inventory around. So the very things that I resented about them I turned around and realized that I, I was doing to myself, like I wasn't paying myself enough attention. I wasn't giving myself enough credit. I was the, I was the person who was telling myself all of these things that were not right about me. And I was blaming it on mom and dad or whoever the resentment of the day was uh, that they hadn't done for me. That was a real eye opener too. And it, um, you know, today I listen in the meetings and I, I hear people talking of criticizing or talking or gossiping about other people. 
And really all they're doing is telling you their inside secrets. You know, it's kind of interesting to uh, hear people talk about other people because they're actually telling you absolutely everything about themselves. And I didn't realize that, that until I started to do um, these inventories and do a lot of them in the inventory chair. <laughs> and I went to a big book meeting every day too, which was helpful. I find so much goodness right right in the book for sure. And I love what you're saying about about the process, the inventory, feeling uncomfortable praying with someone. But these are the things that really help us get the program and help us get better. I'm curious though, what brought you in to a point where you experienced enough desperation where you fought through that discomfort? Well, I think it helps me become more honest. And I think the more honest you are, the more sane you are. So the more inventories you do, the more, the more you're going to become more honest and the more you lose that insanity and that figment of your imagination that you've garnished up in your head about all of these things that aren't true. Yeah. You get to see the truth. I love that. But, but it does take, it takes effort and it takes a willingness. And for me, that willingness only came when I experienced enough desperation. Can you talk a little bit about the desperation that you experienced? Like what brought you into the program of recovery? Well, we had moved from Ohio uh, to Florida and I'd gotten out of all of the things that I was therapeutically involved in. I was down here and we were only here for like 18 months and I, I knew I, I was I was starting to control but not enjoy my drinking and I was hiding, I I had started to hide liquor around the house. I would buy five cases of bourbon at a time and I'd hide it down behind the wood burning stove because I thought that I wouldn't go down there wrong. And um, that I, (laughs) that I, I came up, I'd wake up in the morning, I had burns all over my arms from going down to get more bourbon. And I'd always look, you know, before, but anyhow, we moved down here and I was complete, I was really quite hung over one morning and I was walking to the mailbox to get the, to get the mail. And a voice said to me, you're going to stop drinking. Uh, That was new to me. It stopped me right in my tracks. I would tell my husband that I'm not going to drink after, after dinner. And then I'd go and I'd fill a coffee cup full of bourbon and, you know, and then I'd take it to bed with me and he'd say, why are you, why are you taking? I say, well, I'm not done yet. And I really wasn't done until, you know, I, uh, kind of passed out or went into a blackout. And I, uh, my daughter was riding at the time and I had gone to a, they start early in the morning with these horse shows. And I had gone to uh, a horse show and I uh, was sitting in the car of the trainer. And uh, I said, I'm, I am very hungover. And I feel like I, I said, I feel like I'm bleeding uh, through my pores. And he said, well, you know, you don't always have to feel that way. And I turned around, this was about seven o'clock in the morning. And between the two of us, there was a big book sitting in the car. He had uh, found AA and how much it had done for him. And he'd be glad to take me to a meeting if I wanted to go. And I said, sure, I'd like to go. And then it took me another three weeks to decide what I was going to wear to the meeting. So I wanted to uh, look good. Of course, there was no looking good at that time because I was all puffy and white and uh, terrible. And uh, that's what got me to AA. I drank at home and I'd do things like leave the house and and I uh, we had a creek running through the property and I remember coming to uh, in the creek and my two-year-old daughter was up in the house um, asleep. I'd left her up there uh, sleeping out. Things that aren't good, you know, that I was ashamed of. 
Yeah, I can relate. Unfortunately, I think we all can. I mean, and that's none of us come in here on a high note, right? I'm thinking about your the voice that you heard that said you're going to stop drinking. I'm thinking, you know, that's like a spiritual experience of sorts. Before it really is. And I'm wondering, can you talk to us a little bit about what does spirituality look like to you and how has it unfolded for you? I think a spiritual experience to me means that I'm I'm changing, that I've changed. And usually uh, most of mine are obviously of the educational variety, but sometimes they come by surprise. I am not aware of it until somebody mentions it to me. Sometimes I'm aware uh, when I'm having a spiritual awakening or I'm changing, it's because I've recently discovered an emotional deformity (laughs) that needs some attention. And I've been successful with my part in it. I've asked God to help me. And then I'm I find myself having success. It's it's like um, it's like pulling a. I can feel it on the inside of me. It's like pulling uh, pulling a rope uh, from one hand to the other because I can feel the tension. I can feel the old me pulling against the new me, and I can. Um, and when I come out successful in that uh, endeavor, then I've had. I feel like I've had a spiritual experience. I also have felt. Besides the talking, I mean, besides that voice or that thought coming to me, I've also had a couple other experiences with a a higher power. Um, One was I tried to quit smoking when I was eight years sober. A Jesuit friend of mine told me to to leave that alone. Uh, There were, you know, drinking was the most most important and I left it alone. And he said, use the seven step on it, everyone. And so I used it every once in a while that I thought I'd want to quit smoking because that was yet another emotional deformity that, you know, I want that kept people away from me that I wanted to stop. And um, so I'd been praying about it. And then I took, started to take the action of, of doing that. I went to the, at that time, it was like 24, five years ago. And all of that stuff was prescription, you know, the uh, Nicorette, Nic- Nicoderm and all of that was prescription. So I went to the Mayo Clinic and talked to him about, giving me a prescription and uh, which they did. And I set a date for uh, the time I was going to quit. I I was praying about it and I always pray in my closet. I have a a meditation chair and I have a, it's a little plastic painter's stool that I sit on because I've got to, I've got to be by myself or I'll find something else I'd rather do (laughs) than uh, sit with God. And I, I, I struggle with that all the time, but anyhow, I was praying about it and uh, there was going to be a date. It was the next day I was going to get my patch from the Mayo Clinic. I was going to stop and I was in there praying and I had written a fear list. I treated it exactly like a uh, resentment. And uh, I had written down all of my fears that I had about stopping smoking, just like I had about, you know, drinking. And of course they were all kind of erroneous. I mean, I was going to gain weight. I was going to have terrible withdrawal, um, you know, all of, all of these things that uh, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. And, you know, as a, I really did have a lot of extra time left over because I was almost three packs a day. Anyhow, I prayed about it. And uh, this wind came across my face and I, uh, and I, it startled me and I, and I kept on praying and then it came, came across my face again. And I said, well, it's the air conditioning kicking on. But then when I woke up, when I got up from my finished praying, there was, I think I, I'm, there was no vent in the room there. I'm sure it was the breath of God. 
and I uh, stopped smoking uh, the next day and I stopped smoking and that was it. I mean, it was easy. That was a sudden spiritual experience for me. But most of the other ones, the character defects uh, that I've had, I've got, I've become aware of them first through inventory and then become willing to, to have God remove them and then asking and then really trying, trying it out. None of them have been easy. I get all confused about if I should stand up for myself or should I just shut up? I, you know, I get, I get all wrapped around my axle on some of the things like that. So usually I just don't say anything. So it sounds like you've got a, a pretty good conception of your higher power. And, I do, um, friends. I'm just wondering if, if you've worked with women in the program or, uh, or maybe even have advice for folks that may be struggling with that concept of, of a higher power. Yeah, I, um, I'm helping that woman that called me uh, is uh, trying to stop smoking now. She's got, I uh, sponsor her. She's got about 12 years, but I was reading a book uh, that made a lot of sense to me. It's uh, God as you understand him. And um, I couldn't read the 12 steps for maybe a year and a half into sobriety because it mentioned the word God. I struggled with God too for a long time, but there's a book uh called um, Mere Christianity that I read it. So it's C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he talks about God being uh, salt. And I, I don't know if you know that or not, but uh, it made tremendous. I, I thought, oh, God, that's it. You know, he talked about how salt being such a strong flavor, you would think that it would overpower anything if you put it on meat it would taste like that. If you put it in cookies, it would taste like that. If you put it in, you know, uh, vegetables, it would, they would all taste like salt. But in fact, what it does, instead of making everything the same, it enhances everything that it touches. And I thought, wow, what a great conception of a higher power. You know, that if I have my own conception of, of God, then he is like salt to me. He touches me and he changes my flavor. All he's doing is enhancing who he created in the first place. And I think that that's, that's how I uh, would explain a, the, a relationship with a higher power. That is beautiful. And I haven't heard that I've heard of course of C.S. Lewis and I but I hadn't uh, heard of that salt imagery in the way that you just described it and I absolutely love it um you're talking about recovery seeping into all the areas of life you know smoking drinking a relationship with the higher power of our understanding and this recovery program can help with with anything yeah I used to put a, a saying or something from the daily reflection book or you know, the 24 hour day book or the big book. And I used to put it in the console of my car or I'd put it a rubber band around my wrist. And every time I'd look at the rubber band, I'd think, oh, I put that there because I want to remember that God's with me. And today I go along and my problem is that I go so fast and uh, I, I don't want to really slow down physically. It's my self-will that keeps running ahead of me. And I, uh, and I want to slow down enough so I can uh, manage to say thank you during the day or, you know, ask for help. I went into a, a meeting. And I want to do something at 
at a volunteer thing, and I, I always close my eyes and ask for help uh, before I do that. And or even when if I want to volunteer or speak at a meeting, I always ask that you wanted wanted you speak through my close my eyes and ask for help. That gives me pretty good perspective of what order things should be in. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the audience before we begin to wrap? If there's confusion in my life and I'm thinking about somebody um, more often than I should, and I have, and I am not tell, I I sit down and write it on a piece of paper. I I pulled a couple of years ago. I pulled off the side of the road on a one a, and I filled. I had nothing to write on except a grocery bag, and so <laughs> I wrote a. I wrote all of my fears down on a grocery bag. I mean, I was driving along practically not breathing, you know, because I was imagining all of these things in my head, which weren't true, of course. But uh, so I, I sat down. And I said, I know the way to get rid of these. And uh, I wrote, wrote them down on, the, on a grocery bag. And then I, I always say the fear prayer. God, uh, remove these fear, fear, fears from me and, and help me do what you intend me to do. And then I go about my business. So, yeah, I, I use it all the time. That is such great advice. What I'm loving about this is you have a lot of years of sobriety under your belt and you sponsor a lot of women. I know that because I've talked to several of them. What I'm hearing you say is that I'm still working this thing all the time. Oh, I yeah. still have all the same feel feelings and all the same fears and all the same stuff. It's just now you have the tools and you employ them. And I, I love that because there's a sense sometimes that somehow I'm going to arrive at this place where I'm great and happy all the time and doing it right. And, and no, that's not true. This is a journey and, and you're walking it and showing us how it's done. And I, I really appreciate you for that. Well, you know, you get, there's a, there's a line in the big book. That's why I love it so much. It says, they wonder why they fell. We were talking about somebody and I, and it says the next sentence says, well, they fail to enlarge their spiritual life. I think it's important to, however you enlarge your spiritual life, to keep at it because it uh, can only bring goodness and, and joy from, and happiness from all, from all of it and a freedom. Thank you for having me. I Thank you so much it. for joining us. Truly appreciate it. it. Thank you for saying yes, Missy. Thanks so much to Missy for stopping by. And thanks to you, the listeners. If you want to find us online, you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. If you want to read about recovery, you can visit our blog at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.